0: Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the epistle of 1st Timothy, chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. If you put these instructions before the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with profane myths and old wives' tales. Train yourself in godliness, for while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full, and ex- of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and struggle, because we have our hope Set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourself to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The word of God for the people of God. Author of life, we thank you for your words, and we ask that your spirit would be with us this morning as we reflect upon them, so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. As I entered into seminary, I wasn't entirely sure where my calling was taking me. On the one hand, I certainly felt a call to parish ministry. I felt God calling me to devote my life without reservation to the building up of the church through the sacraments and the word. But on the other hand, I also felt a call to build up the church by continuing on in academia. I have such a love for learning and for the academic community that I felt called to continue on to a doctorate so that I could remain a part of the community that shapes the leaders of the church. I think you can all guess which path I ended up following. In part, I continued on to parish ministry because I had wise mentors who encouraged me to carry my love of learning beyond the walls of the academy to be a pastor theologian. In part, I am here because I remain committed to that other calling. I have plans to one day return to the academy, but as a theologian, I cannot authentically teach others in a craft that I have not practiced. And I provide you with this background so that you understand what I mean when I say that I truly believe education to be one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Now it may be that my opinion is shaped by the fact that I come from a family full of educators. My mother manages a childcare center for the University of Michigan and has advanced degrees in early childhood development. Her brothers both work in higher education, one as a professor of biophysics, the other as a manager of the auxiliary services that keep a college running. Their father was a math teacher and his mother before him was a teacher as well but it may also be that my opinion is shaped by being a Methodist. John and his brother Charles firmly believed that religion was something that was experienced with both head and heart. They each had moments of feeling moved by the Spirit, but they were each profound theologians as well. John was so devoted to the cause of education that he attempted to establish a school for children that came to be called Kingswood. Students at Kingswood were to be trained in the basics of reading, writing, and arithmetic, as was the standard at the time. But they were also to be instructed in Greek, Latin, Hebrew, and French. A daunting course load, even for a seminarian. John, who had been raised under the strict tutelage of his mother Susanna, naturally had high standards for the students of his school So it should come as no surprise that the Methodist student still supports and is building schools around the world as part of our service to God. Given the high expectations that John had for students in their primary education, it's also no surprise that he had high expectations of people who wanted to be ministers in the Methodist movement. As the movement began to take shape, John ensured that there was a list of resources for ministers to further their education. And because he was aware of the economic realities of education, he also took on the responsibility of ensuring that books were published affordably. There's an exchange of letters from this time between John and one of the people who was moved by the movement to become a minister the man in question was a miner who had heard a Methodist preacher and felt convicted that he, too, was called to proclaim the gospel. And so he wrote to John Wesley and told him that while he felt the call to preach, he wasn't so sure that he felt the call to all that book learning that John expected of his preachers. Never one to hide his feelings, John wrote back, And told the man that if he wasn't called to do the learning then maybe he wasn't called to do the preaching either while this may seem harsh i think john was right in his response making the decision to follow christ means making a commitment to a new life it means opening ourselves up to new truths we cannot claim to follow god if we expect our God never to get any bigger than our first understandings, if we presume that our first pass at understanding God is sufficient, then we haven't really made an attempt to shape ourselves to God. We've merely shaped a God that fits with what we already believe. And so, in this regard, Christian education is no different than any other form of education. Imagine if we were taught how to do addition and subtraction in grade school and then decided that we knew everything there was to know about math. Imagine if once we figured out the alphabet we decided that we knew everything there was to know about the English language. Imagine if we learned about the scientific method and decided that we had mastered what it means to study science. No one would take such a person seriously, and no one should take such a person seriously. Yet, when it comes to our knowledge of God, it seems that too often we let this attitude prevail. We learn our Sunday school lessons and decide that we've mastered the Bible. We learn how to say the Lord's Prayer and decide that we've learned everything that there is to know about prayer. We have a moment of conviction that inspires us to be born again, And decide that the emotions of that experience have taught us everything that there is to know about God. But here's the reality about education, inside the church and out. The further down the path of learning that you travel, the more you realize just how much you don't know. When you set out to answer one question, you find yourself walking away with more questions and on rare occasion an actual answer to your original question. Because often what happens in the process of learning is that you realize the question that you originally asked was not a good question. As you research, you realize that your question needs to be refined. You realize that there are more factors than you could possibly have imagined involved in answering your question. And the same thing happens as we study the Bible as we develop the skills that help us read with a thoughtful eye, we start to see things that we didn't see before. We start to recognize the contradictions. We start to see the way that different authors speak differently about God. We start to see the symbols in ways that are more firmly rooted in the world in which they were written. None of this decreases our faith. It strengthens it. It helps us to see how deeply human the endeavor of faith has been. It encourages us that the gifts that we have are just as sufficient as the gifts that inspired the authors of scripture. It reminds us that we have a God that meets people where they are. Those of you who've attended a Bible study or a class with me have hopefully seen how much enthusiasm I have for those ministries. I love that in sharing what I know, I get to see you start asking new questions. I get to see the Bible and Christian history coming alive in different ways. And I love that in response to what I can share, you've asked me questions that make me admit, I don't know. You give me a chance to look deeper. This is what John Wesley meant when he said, there is no holiness but social holiness none of us grows deeper in knowledge on our own. It doesn't matter how many degrees I have on my wall. It doesn't matter what awards I received in pursuit of my education. I still come to those discussions with just as much to learn as anyone else. And so here's one more truth. As Methodists, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. When we take our baptismal vows we all enter into the ministry of Christ. My priesthood, as someone on the path to ordination, is not rooted in being a gatekeeper of knowledge. My priesthood is rooted in equipping all of you to better perform your own ministry, which is where today's scripture reading comes into the picture. The author of 1 Timothy is speaking to priests on how to teach. Well, if all of you as followers of Christ, have a priesthood to live into, then these words speak directly to you. It becomes incumbent upon all of you to nourish one another on the words of the faith, to provide proper instruction to one another, to toil and struggle, to exhort one another, to embrace the gifts that are within each and every one of you. It's my job to pass on the knowledge that I have received, so that it becomes easier for you to do these things. I am in essence working to put myself out of a job. I'm tasked with empowering each and every Christian to live fully into their calling. And there's nothing that would make me happier than to see the same level of conversation that happens in our seminaries happening in our pews. It sometimes seems that people perceive some type of divide between our schools and our congregations. But there's no inherent difference between seminarians and everyone else because every seminarian starts out as a layperson. I can't tell you the number of times I heard colleagues in seminary say, it's fine that we talk about these things here, but how are we supposed to take this to our churches? And the answer seems pretty clear to me. The same way that our professors took their knowledge to us, with patience with grace, with a willingness to keep learning with those whom we are teaching. I believe in a God who gave us the gifts to learn. I believe in a God that invites us into closer relationship through questions. I believe in a God who wants us to grow ever deeper in love and ever further in knowledge. So I invite all of you to join me in asking better questions in growing beyond where we are now, so that we might become more faithful servants than we have already been. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Wellspring of knowledge, invite us to drink of your waters. Teach us how to walk faithfully in your ways. Help us to marry our head and our heart so that we may learn and love in service to your mission. Amen.